0: to the pack leader mentality podcast i'm really excited about today because we got more questions and answers the funny thing is is that when i first told layla that we were going to do the podcast or i was going to do the podcast i said you know i'll have you on once in a while to ask some questions so that i can answer them but mostly, it'll be me talking about topics.
1: And I was a little bummed because I wanted to be. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, but here you are again. Ta-da! <laughs> no, but, but I'm actually really enjoying this. This is great. Actually, I prefer the conversation style okay. of talking, where like you ask me a question and I answer it. Maybe you kind of dig a little deeper.
1: Yeah, so, and I love these questions. I feel like we're able to cover more. You know, yeah. I'm sure there's other people with similar questions that. Kind of yeah. like, you know. And
0: similar issues. Yeah. Yeah. So All right, well, is let's awesome. jump right into it. We got a, quite a few questions today, right? We do.
1: Okay. All right. We're going to jump the off one? the gate with how do you handle your dog from being reactive to another dog when a dog charges her?
0: A lot of dogs in there. I know. Sorry. Can you repeat the question? <laughs>
1: yeah. How do you handle your dog from being reactive to another dog when a dog charges her?
0: Okay. So your dog's being charged by this is verbatim. a dog. Yeah and your dog is reactive i mean first of all i'm going to say honestly like can you blame your dog yeah like let's let's have a little compassion a little empathy for the situation uh you know most of you that know me watch me follow me know my dog brooklyn she's pretty much like nearly a perfect dog uh but if there's a dog coming at her or a dog showing aggression to her. There have been some instances where her hackles go up. She barks back. Or she'll even sort of jump up. Uh, and sort of pounce back down on her front paws. You know. Like a quick stomp. Or two stomps or something like that. And for me. I'm able to just say. Uh-uh, you know leave it. Or something to that effect. Just tell her no and to sit. And then I praise her. So I have that verbal control over her. So where I know that. You know, I don't have to worry about her actually being aggressive and actually doing something, but I certainly don't mind and I can understand why she does that. Right. So I would say if your dog is being charged by another dog, first of all, we have to let's just put ourselves in that situation and ask, what would you do if somebody was charging you? Would you put your hands up to defend yourself would you maybe take a step towards them to defend yourself and so if the answer is yes then i would say well let's be empathetic with the dog and say i can understand why you would do that now if you want your dog to choose a different response the truth is when it comes to training with those issues those types of issues it's the best thing that we can do is try to recreate them but i wouldn't recommend Recreating a scenario where another dog is charging at your dog. One of the best things that you can do without being able to recreate it is to get your dog into the habit of redirecting towards you with a particular word or a sound that is associated with something good. And then also having really good obedience and just a great relationship with your dog. So again, like using Brooklyn as an example, we have a great relationship. She listens to me very, very well. I'm able to sort of override any thought or behavioral response that she might have. Mm -hmm. And that's great. That might not be possible with every single dog, but it's certainly not a bad idea to work on that. And that would be through good obedience, good relationship, good engagement, And just the idea is to sort of diffuse and de-escalate the situation, if that happens, and having some empathy and going, "Hey, look, I get it." Right. The message to the dog is like, "Look, I get it, but hey, come over here and sit down. Good job." That's it. I wouldn't correct that behavior uh, because for me, I I can understand it. I think that it's 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 okay. It's okay. It's an okay response. Yeah. May not be ideal, but it's okay
1: it makes sense right if it makes sense for us as humans they're animals at the end of the yeah. day of course it makes sense for them to kind of defend themselves to a certain degree
0: absolutely i mean just imagine somebody running at you
1: like <laughs> excuse me sir yeah. back it up so, all right ready for the next one yeah let's do it okay share your favorite public places for training
0: my favorite public places well here in vegas i would say it's my like top few would be uh, Bass Pro Shops in no particular order. Bass Pro Shops, um, Home Depot, Downtown Summerlin, uh, and Town Square. I love Downtown Summerlin and Town Square because it they're public outdoor shopping malls. And so if you live in another state and you have something similar, I think they're great places to train, especially because there's a lot of people and potentially dogs. A lot of people walk their dogs around there. And it's just, it's a very busy location. I love Bass Pro because it's different for the dog. It's not somewhere you would typically take them. And in Bass Pro, they actually have other animals. What are they called when they taxidermy? Yeah, taxidermied animals. So they have lions, bears, gazelles, all types of other, like, you know, wild animals. And it's just that, that, matter of fact, the one that we have here has a freaking giraffe. So. I've been able to get dogs this sort of weird exposure, if you will, to all different types of stuff at Bass Pro. You know, they have boats there. They have, um, what are they called? Four wheelers. A T. Hey, thank you. <laughs> this is like a game I show you. right now. Different textures floor textures. Exactly. They have carpet. They have an yeah. elevator there. So for me, Bass Pro is definitely on my list. And I love Home Depot for similar reasons it's again different stuff they have the lumber aisle they have all different smells
1: noises noises lots
0: of noise. <laughs> yeah uh forklifts moving around you know all different types of stuff so these are my favorite places to train because a lot of times i'm working on socialization and when i do obedience training it's just great to have all these different distractions so and i think most people can find you know for example if you don't have Bass pro there At might the be store. another hunting store exactly yeah. so Cool. Those are my, those are my jams. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Awesome. All right. On to the next question. What is your opinion on playing tug of war?
0: I love tug of war. Love it. Why? Well, first (laughs) of all, I want to say that I know that there are trainers out there that advise against it and I couldn't disagree more. The only time I would advise against playing tug of war with a dog is if a, you don't know the dog at all b you have a bad relationship with the dog and they don't trust you and C. if the dog has aggressive tendencies or resource guarding issues with toys other than that i think tug is amazing and i love tug because it's a great way to bond with the dog build your relationship build their confidence expel energy implement obedience And I mean, dogs have a natural tendency to want to bite on something and pull at it. So we're allowing them to utilize their own natural tendencies in a way that we can structure it so that way we can implement training. So I'll have a dog sit or down and wait for the release before they come get the tug again. I'll toss the tug. I can focus on impulse control and building patience with the dog. So the list is almost endless in terms of the benefits. And obviously, you know, again, if you have a reactive dog or an aggressive dog, rather, and they don't trust you, then probably not the best idea. But realistically, I mean, in my experience, those situations are very few and far between. And a lot of people, for example, get nervous when they play tug with their dogs because the dog is growling. Mm. And I would say most of the time. my experience i haven't personally met a dog that growled when we played tug where it was a concern
1: so with tug should you let your dogs win all the time or is it like a 50 50 how does that work
0: yeah uh, most of the time i let the dog win for sure because i'm trying to i want to make it fun for them and i want to build their confidence and for me when i'm playing tug i actually want the dog to pull harder because the harder they pull the more involved they're getting And the more energy I can expel from them, you know, the more tired I can get them, basically. Letting the dog win, and that's another thing that people get confused about. They think that they have to, and when they play tug, that they should be winning or constantly yanking the toy to show their dog that they're in charge or more dominant or whatever the case is. And the reality is, is that a lot of times, especially with younger dogs, we run the risk of discouraging them from wanting to play. I always tell my clients that's a lot like teaching a kid to play basketball. Never giving them the ball. Yeah, and then every time they go to shoot the ball, you're like stuffing their shots, you know, and they can never score. It's just not fun for them. So I absolutely, I would say 90% of the time I'm letting the dog win. So I'll pull really hard. If they pull back against me, I make them pull a couple of times and then I let go in this sort of dramatic fashion when I'm first teaching them to play to encourage them to win so that way we can continue to play and they have they love it i love it i think it's great
1: you know i've, I've seen you quite a few times I get into play it. with some of the rescues that we've yeah. had and you really get into it yeah. it's like watching almost like two kids playing yeah you're just, i love it you guys it's, are having it's fun great. it's cute yeah big fan of tug <laughs> all right next question Ooh, i like this question um what is challenging to you as a dog trainer maybe something related with a client
0: Hmm. <laughs> I would say, well, okay. I think most people assume that as a dog trainer, I get frustrated if people are using training tools like uh, a flexi leash or, you know, maybe they're overly affectionate to their dogs or baby talk their dogs. And to be honest with you, those things actually don't bother me. And I'm only saying that just to kind of clear that because I think that's a common assumption with dog trainers that we're all, you know, annoyed with everybody, but that's very far from the truth for me. I don't judge people. In fact, I can, I get it. I see how much people love their dogs and I can understand why they make the mistakes that they do. For me, the challenging things that I've experienced would really be learning how to turn, turn it off. Like when I come home, how to detach myself from the work that I do. I put a lot of pressure on myself early on when I started my business because I was so adamant about helping people and making sure that I did my very best, that I would go to sleep at night with like these thoughts that just kept spinning that like, oh, you could have said this and you could have said that and you could have showed them this way and you could have showed them that way. And so that was an issue for me. One problem that I've had with some clients here and there, but not often at all, is I've had some clients where... I tell them and show them how to do things and they're like, Oh yeah, they know that. Or yeah, they, they can do that. And then I've had one lady specifically that I had to stop training. And I, and I said, I was like, can you remind me again? Like how, how I can help you because it seems like everything I'm offering you and trying to show you, you say that the dog already knows. So can you just remind me of what I can do to help? Uh, Another thing that's challenging is when someone asks me a question and then they interrupt me when I give the answer. That's like, that can be a challenge. Because I'm I'm in the middle of explaining something to someone, and they'll just cut me off. And I'm like, okay, you don't <laughs> want to know, I don't know.
1: <laughs> uh, you know what, I'm going to ask you actually this question. I'm going to piggyback off of this, because I'm still a little like, how do you do it? Does it? Is it ever challenging for you when you come into a home, and maybe there's like multiple people, or multiple dogs and for me it seems like chaos and i'm just like how are you gonna handle it you know and there's all this information being thrown at you and there's sometimes even commotion with the dogs Mm -hmm. as you're trying to speak is that ever challenging for you to like just be able to compartmentalize everything and kind of find peace and common ground and clarity in all the chaos because sometimes when i walk away with you i'm like i don't know Like how did you do it? But you like Yeah. So how does that (laughs) how do you do that? How do
0: I do that? I wouldn't say that it's challenging. It used to be because I I, again I felt this pressure when I first started my business to like solve all the problems right away. So I felt like I had to give I had to give them all the answers and I had to walk out of their house, you know, after the first time meeting them, having solved every issue. And I don't feel that way anymore. Uh you know, I have a A plan now or rather i'm able to take in all the information give them some perspective on what's going on and then formulate a plan outside of that consultation so that's helped me a lot because i used to feel so much pressure to almost write out a plan right there like everything we're gonna do and now I have an opportunity to sort of marinate on the information, think about it, reflect on it, and then put a plan together and then go from there. And that's been really, really helpful for me. So
1: nice. all righty. On to the next question. A uh, four year old Ozzy was playing with my mom and bit her in the face at our house. How do we correct?
0: The thing is, is if your mom was playing with the dog and the dog bit her in the face, I would want to know a lot of things like what's the general relationship between your mom and the dog how was your mom playing with the dog was it an accident or was it on purpose right and so regardless though the approach is going to be more from a preventative perspective rather than punishing the dog just to be clear it's not okay for a dog to bite someone in the face especially if it was done intentionally and i hope that your mom is okay however if, if I'm playing with a dog and I do something that makes the dog uncomfortable enough to feel like they had to snap at me to get out of their space, I'm a very understanding person. And even though we can label a dog biting any person as wrong, I would also say, well, if you're provoking that bite, then it's another living being who's defending themselves. So I would want a lot more information about that. And I would say, for now, to give a definitive answer to that question, uh, mom and dog don't play anymore. Period.
1: Are there like any cues? I know we've we've talked about in the past, but Uh are there any like cues that a dog gives off that maybe are subtle to the average person that maybe this family can or other families can pay attention to, um, and maybe create that that space between the dog and whoever they're playing with. Or even themselves.
0: Well, I would say I would start with some obvious cues that are more easy to spot. Like uh, a dog having what's called whale eye, which is really, really big eyes where you can see the whites of their eyes. Uh, Their pupils can get dilated. Their ears get pinned back. A lot of times a dog might lower their head. That's a good example that they might not be comfortable. Uh, Oftentimes it's more obvious where the dog is literally turning away from you. Some more subtle cues would be lip licking, yawning, and then, yeah, those are pro- those would definitely be more subtle. Another really subtle one is stopping and during play and sniffing the ground. That's a mm. displacement signal. So, or or stopping and itching is another one. Uh, it's sort of out of the ordinary, but these are more subtle, and a lot of people wouldn't pick up on them because mm. you know, it looks like normal behavior. Right. But it's because of the context that makes it not that normal. You know, so these are, but again, these are a lot more difficult for people to pick up on. One thing that I say is if a dog doesn't want to interact with you, a lot of times they'll more than likely avoid you. You know, they'll avoid eye contact, they'll look away from you, they'll literally turn their head or turn their body. And just like I give the example to my clients, if a person, if a guy walks up to a lady at a bar and tries to have a conversation with her and she, turns her body, and the guy continues to try to talk to her, most people will look at that guy and say, dude, leave her alone. She doesn't want anything to do with you. But we don't give the same thought to a dog who's doing the exact same behavior and say to somebody like, hey, that dog doesn't want to have an interaction with you. They're literally walking away from you and you're following them, you know? Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, for sure. Ooh, here's another fun one. How do you always keep... Got excited about that. I was like, "Ooh, how do you always keep your cool?" I like to break it up. You know, there's some of these questions are very serious, so it's kind of that's it. How do I like? How do I always keep my cool? cool? Where
0: are my sunglasses at? If I had sunglasses to put on right now, I stay cool, cool, baby. (laughs) Nah, um, I'm assuming that question is in like regard to some of the sort of sticky situations that I've been in. You know, like some of the more chaotic ones, working with dogs that are coming at me,
1: like literally lunging at you, ready to. Apart. Well,
0: I mean, you know this more than anybody. And that is like, it's not a problem until it's a problem, yeah. you know? But I think that I... Like
1: I've, in all ways of life, right? Like all yeah. way, sometimes like baby, right? Yeah, it's not, it's an not a issue. problem yeah, until it's a problem.
0: Exactly. We're good. We're breathing. We're moving. No one's bleeding out. We're okay. I mean, and honestly, that's kind of my perspective in general. Uh, but I would say too, that there have been a lot of situations in my life that have been extremely intense and chaotic and I've always had this ability to think through them in a calm way and just sort of do this self-assessment like I'm okay I'm alive I'm good some of those for example like I was robbed at gunpoint when I was a teenager I've been in fights with you know seven eight people at a time getting jumped defending myself and you know it sounds kind of crazy but those experiences in my life have made me realize that it's not that bad you know like there's things that have been worse like the car accidents i've been in i've been in four motorcycle accidents and you know i remember the one that i got into in california which if you guys follow me you've probably seen some of that story uh but i when i hit the guardrail i immediately did like a self-assessment so I, i took a deep breath You know, I asked myself what my name was. I knew where I was. I knew who I was. I could feel my fingers. I could feel my toes. I took another deep breath. I thought I had broken my ribs, but because I could breathe easily, I realized that I hadn't. So then I started to notice that the pain was coming from my hip and I probably shouldn't have gotten up, but I did and I could kind of walk. Um, But it was like that ability for me to. Analyze a situation almost in slow motion is something that I think has really been with me since as long as I can remember, but I've certainly made a more conscious effort with regard to what I do now as a professional dog trainer to be in a, a situation. And I know that there's a lot of people observing and I also recognize that my calmness helps to alleviate any potential stress that others are feeling and even the dogs yeah, right say, and even the dog yeah so it's more important for me to remain calm and it's a conscious effort and i say that and people have commented in some of those videos and they're like wow you know you're so calm and i say thanks it's a conscious effort because it is because sometimes it's easy to become overwhelmed because of whatever the case like whatever's happening so I make a very intentional conscious effort to breathe and be calm because as long as I'm not, you know, being like literally attacked and even if I was being bit, you know, uh, I would still have some degree of calmness to be able to
1: address that situation. Uh, The one, the one, you got me all tongue tied right now, but the one situation that really sticks out in my mind is um, the Mal mm-hmm. that was was determined to go after you, and every time you know he jumped up or or did something. Mind you, I'm behind the glass door, but it was startling me, and I had to like hold the camera still not to you know keep that because I was literally like jumping and jerking. Yeah. Um. It. Like I'm curious too, like how in those literally chaotic situations where the dog is literally jumping at you, is trying to attack you, like what goes on in your head? Do you like freeze, like slow it down in your head and you're just laser focused on the dog or like, how does that happen? Because everybody else is like jumping up and get startled and it's like, you're completely unfazed. Yeah. Like how do you do How do you do that? What tips do you have for the rest of us that either are observing or are in a, you know, crazy situation? I mean, (laughs) it's not a
0: problem until it's a problem. You know, like I'm not in any pain. That would be like probably a big part of it. Like I'm not in any immediate pain. And one could argue that I am in some form of immediate potential for danger or for something to happen. Again, I I can't really describe it. I just, I really focus on, I get very tunnel vision in a good way where I'm laser focused on exactly what's going on with what I'm dealing with. So everything else is just out of the equation and it almost becomes like slow motion for me Mm. where I'm again, just totally focused on the dog. And if a dog lunges at me, I can dodge them. And in some cases, you know, the dog is muzzled. So that's another safety protocol and, and a factor for me that really alleviates any potential concern. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't need to panic because the dog's wearing a muzzle. And yeah, they might be able to bite through the muzzle and knit me a little bit. And I've been bit before. But again, it's it's like it's not happening right now. You know, if I had a dog latched onto my hand, you know, you might get a different response from me, but. I still think that I would be calm enough and focused enough to deal with that immediately and make it stop rather than, you know, panic and flail around. I'm not a flailer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not me. Okay. That was fun. We got another one? I do. I just want to make sure I didn't lose it. Okay. I found it. Okay. Last question. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay. Do you recommend switching between e-collar, prong, and slip leash depending on training?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, each, each training tool has a different purpose. And for me, I would use it a little bit differently, you know? So for example, a slip leash is something that I use, like for the first time that I put any training tool on a dog. Most of the time, it's going to be a slip leash. It's also a leash that I'll use around the house very often with new dogs to guide them and control them. If I need to, or I should say if the dog needs it, I'll put a prong collar on them in place of a slip leash. And the e-collar for me is a tool that I'll utilize as sort of the icing on the cake to use. I'll use the e-collar as a way to communicate what I've already been communicating to a dog through a leash. And so it just gives me the ability to maintain that communication, but from a distance, without having to physically guide them. But keep in mind that when you use an e-collar, you don't just take off the leash and then put on the e-collar. You have them together. You guide the dog with the leash after using the e-collar and then you can remove the leash, you know? But Mm -hmm. to answer the question, absolutely. I recommend switching between them. I might have them on at the same time though. And that's important to understand too. Like if I'm teaching a dog to walk with me, let's say I'm using a prong collar maybe they're e-collar trained for recall so they're wearing the the e-collar but I'm working on a walking exercise or healing and so I won't use the e-collar I'll only use the prong collar for that information for the dog so yeah it all depends you know it depends on what the dog knows it depends on what I'm working on yeah that's that's a great question and important to understand too. the diversity between the tools all right, ladies and gentlemen.
1: That that's all I have for today. That's all.
0: That's all we got for today. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you'd like to submit your questions, we'd love to answer them on the show.
1: I'd love to read them. Yeah,
0: okay. on Instagram at Leader of the Pack LV, I usually post a story where you can pop your question in. If you want to shoot me a message, go for it. Just make sure you put in podcast question. And then also, if you want to email the question, feel free. Uh, you can email us at info at Lead Your Pack LV dot com and other than that we'll see you guys for the next one peace